2: And Martin Paloma. Welcome to another hey, an edition of Live of My Money, presented I by speak, Pinnacle. I'm, I'm right creating Martin Paloma the with the you as well. Today's to the first track time, track time we've been with you, with you guys in a while. We've been traveling. Martin had a vacation and some of those things. We're going to talk about this banking crisis a little bit. We're watching the Fed today as we tape on Wednesday morning. The Fed having a meeting expected fed decision i'll let martin tell you about that since he's been talking about the fed for seemingly a year now Uh, years it feels like interest rates uh going up i've got some thoughts um how this affects housing i've got some thoughts martin has some thoughts too so we'll talk about a number of things uh first i'll tell you that i'm coming to you from the clark ford studios clark ford's in amory mississippi 662-257-1900 i've been having a bit of a uh, vehicle crisis and the people at Clark Ford have been awesome with me. They'll be awesome with you as well. Uh, customer service is just fantastic. Uh, Corey and the people at Clark Ford, they want to be your car guy. They want to be your truck guy. They'll prove to you what that means when you make the call. 662-257-1900. And, Martin, before we get rolling, catch the people up on what's happening at Pinnacle and how they can get in touch with you guys.
1: Yeah, man. Um, well, I, I, I hate to, I hate to use the term business as usual, at Pinnacle, but it, it is, uh, you know, kind of business as usual. There's a new, you know, fear of the day, uh, flavor of the day since we've last, uh, since we've last talked, which was just, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but the world has turned and changed. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, a, lot, you know, a little bit of fear and anxiety for folks where, where it probably hits a little more home to the average person than, um, you know, than we when we talk about, stocks and bonds. And that's, you know, all to do with is my money safe at my bank. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and I think that's a really good thing for us to kind of talk about and break down. Uh one thing I will say I don't think the media has done a really great job of during this whole process is really um communicating what what happened with the, you know, the two banks that are that are different, the Silicon Valley and, and signature bank. And what's happening at First Republic and Credit Suisse? You know, and like I, how I, does that? I impact? have to stop
2: you. How, how can you possibly say that the media, the media, has done a bad job covering a big national story? I mean, the media has hit so many home runs in the last three years with their coverage of of uh, of, of of the pandemic, of the insurrection. I mean, the list just goes on and on of the things that they got right that uh, people like me got wrong. Um, I mean.
1: Do we have the insert,
2: the sarcasm button? The uh, the media from day one, from day one said, you know, this virus, which originated from Wuhan, no way, no way could it possibly have come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Because, no, I mean, it, it started in Wuhan. And they've been proven to be right. That the 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 virus obviously started from some wet market with a a bat or a, a bat beaver or something that someone ate, and uh, it was a pure accident. There was nothing into and, and look, Fauci had no way of knowing, and 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 that's been documented uh, from the very get go that he had no no idea that this possibly could have come from a leak. He would never have, I don't know. Gotten that information, called an emergency meeting, and, and orchestrated a cover up. That 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 never would have happened, and the media told you as much. So, back off your criticism of the media here, okay?
1: <laughs> Insert sarcasm for, for our listeners who don't speak fluent sarcasm. Um, but you know, I, I and I will say, back on the track of the media with this coverage there has been a lot of sensational sensationalizing of, you know, of what's been going on. But what hasn't happened is a digestion for, you know, the average person to say, what does this mean for, for me? And in the absence of, in the absence of information and understanding, it really creates a larger problem, which I know I'm preaching to the choir, you know, to you. Um, but when you don't understand something, uh, and, and it's hitting home, like your bank, it's easy for fear and kind of pandemonium to set in. And honestly, the worst thing that could, and and we thank God it didn't happen, but the worst thing that could have happened where, were, you know, let's just say a large portion of the general public said, I am now totally distrustful of even my community bank, you know, my little small bank that's in my community that has a very diversified, you know, customer base that is not, Silicon Valley bank that is not signature bank, but I'm going to go pull all of my cash out and put it in my safe and then create unnecessary problems for banks that were not ever in, in trouble.
2: In anyway. all seriousness, if there was a good that came from the media's coverage of COVID um, and let me be careful as I do this, because what happened at the Capitol on January 6th was inexcusable. It can't happen that, that, that's not, that's not, a democracy. Yep. I agree. But the word insurrection has been overplayed. And I think most Americans look at the video, not even the Tucker Carlson video, just the video from that day. But now if you watch the Tucker Carlson stuff, you're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait, what? Um, but excluding that, I think most of us believe that a, a, a true insurrection now you want to call it a riot? I'm with you. You want to call it a a, uh, a unrest? Cool. You want to say that it's 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 that that it was an invasion of sacred ground? With you, one thousand percent. But an insurrection? It wasn't an insurrection because an insurrection there would have been people that were armed. There would have been there would have been mass shooting and there would have been fire and you know what i mean martin there would have been more to an insurrection where you truly were trying to take over the government that that wasn't that so my point is this i think that the 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 pop the a large percentage of the populace now takes the media at less than face value and so when this story came out i think a lot of people thought to themselves, hey, I really can't trust the media here. I'm just going to wait a little while. And so it stopped panic, if that makes any sense. So
1: I'm just going to give the Webster definition of of insurrection. The This is Merriam-Webster. You can go to the merriam-webster.com to look at it. Uh, insurrection is an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or an established government. They go on to further say a violent uprising against an authority or government. So when I think of that, I mean, I do think of, you know, like my family in Cuba, when they lost their property, I mean, Castro, that was an insurrection. I mean, that was a, a revolution and overthrowing of, you know, of, of a government. And I'm, again, I'm not minimizing at all right
2: uh, but but when a guy but but when a guy walks in in viking horns and and his face and and chest painted to look like captain america and they're opening the doors for him and they're escorting him around helping him get to the senate floor yeah it's difficult for me to look at that and go yeah man there was a lot of violence happening there when when the only person that was shot was one of the, quote, insurrectionists who were shot by a Capitol Police officer whose identity was protected for the better part of a year and no charges were ever filed. I'm not saying charges should have been filed. I don't know. But it's difficult. But my point is is that when the the, the media two years out, two, two plus years out, keeps going, the violent insurrection, it's like, well, I know what I saw. It was a bunch of idiots. But I don't know that, like, and in, they were they were stayed between the lines most of the time. I mean, like they literally were walking in between the ropes. It's kind of like ah, that's I know what I saw. I saw a bunch of morons who were politically motivated, but I don't really think their goal that day was to overthrow the United States of America.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> or incite you know violence with firearms or tanks or yeah, because grenade they, launchers they, they, they there's or- so
2: many of them walked in. Taking pictures, taking pictures and stuff. I mean, they weren't.
1: Yeah, they were. Yeah. They were armed with their cameras and maybe a little bit of stupidity.
2: I mean, a lot of stupidity. Yeah. A lot of stupidity. But you know, I agree. You know I what mean, I'm saying? I mean, I, and I, I don't even know, judging one way or the other. It is what it is. It happened. It's it's it, it was it was a disgraceful day for our country, and we all agree on that. But I I, I do think the media has weaponized that day in a way that has hurt the media's credibility. My my overall theme here is about media. I think the media has really hurt its credibility over the past 3 years and it may maybe it was a turned out to be a good thing that that ground was laid because no I don't I think when when the banking crisis as it has occurred I think a lot of people haven't gone to the media looking for answers. Yeah,
1: and you know, well I remember when the, so it was right before we left for spring break, when the Silicon Valley bank collapse was beginning to happen. And there was a lot of reporting on financial media of, you know, um, CEOs or private equity guys telling CEOs of the, you know, the businesses that, that they helped seed that had large deposits at Silicon Valley Bank telling them, you know, go pull your deposits out and kind of they were reporting that in financial news and I was just like man I can't believe they're actually saying that because I think the average person that's that's kind of watching you know CNBC and I don't I didn't watch Fox Business so I don't know how Fox Business you know covered it I don't know how Bloomberg covered it I do know how the Wall Street Journal covered it cuz I saw I read a lot from the journal uh journal did not sensationalize um what was happening they were kind of really just trying to report facts which is which is the thing I do appreciate about the journal but um CNBC I do watch uh, I do listen to and I, and you know they had they were making comments about that and you know we had a couple of clients that did call and ask like hey am i okay and for the average person let's and if we can let's kind of go down the rabbit hole of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank versus you know your Community Bank or Renaissance or you know um, Regions or Cadence or Trustmark, you know a lot of the the banks that a lot of our customers and clients around here, um, you know, use the the big difference between what happened is you can, if you kind of look at Silicon Valley and it's a very large bank, you know, relative, you know, to to normal standards. I mean, sixteenth largest in the nation over $200 billion in in, um, you know, in, in assets and deposits. But, you know, the FDIC limit for, for insurance is, you know, $250,000 per person or per Social Security number. Um, I shouldn't say person because, you know, entities can have tax IDs that are not living. So per tax ID. So, you know, if you have under $250,000 at a single bank, the bank could go completely belly up and you're protected. You know, the FDIC coverage protects you. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, why wouldn't you just spread your money out? You know, if you have, you know, let's say you have a million dollars of cash. Why wouldn't you just spread it out amongst four banks? And if you have a million dollars of cash and you're, you know, me and you, spreading it out over four banks is not you know, it's not super, super convenient, but it's not the worst. It's not a, a massive inconvenience, especially if they're all, you know, kind of local banks and you can move money back and forth. Sure.
2: I could put, but I could put you know a quarter million at, at regions and a quarter million at, at Oxford University bank and Cadence. a quarter million at, yeah. at Cadence and a quarter million at Renaissance. And I've, I've pretty much covered myself and I can go up and down the street and get to all of those banks.
1: Yeah. And you have no issues at all, but sure. So if you're a large business, and, you know, let's say your payroll every month is, you know, a million dollars, then, you know, you've got to keep a million cash to make payroll. And I'll say, like, you know, even our business, I mean, we are not anywhere close to the size of a lot of the businesses that are, we at Silicon Valley Bank. But we have a really large amount of cash, um, you know, in our bank accounts because we have to pay bills every month. We have to pay we have to do payroll, I've got to pay rent, I've got to pay all these things. And it takes, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a month to run the business. Well, you know, these <clears throat> these startups or these firms that are, you know, with Silicon Valley, they didn't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of a month of expenses, they were having millions. So it, you know, they do keep above the FDIC coverage in a single bank account. Well, so what ended up happening was um you know a lot of these large uh, it was like 80% of their deposits were all above the FDIC limit so they were they were fully exposed to you know to something going awry in the bank and I'm going to say this is the fed's fault for this situation and here's here's why so if you're a bank there's very strict rules on what you can put your money in Um, And and the Fed does have requirements like, hey, a bank's got to have X number of dollars in reserves. And, you know, the reserves are can only be invested into things like treasuries. Um, So they have to keep they can they, they cannot invest into risky or speculative investments that all changed after the, you know, the market crash in 1929, when banks could kind of invest the money, however, they chose to. So government trying to. You know to help people out you know in that regard by you know not the bank not losing all their money by speculative investing so what ended up happening is you know they they were required to buy treasuries with deposits and they keep a a large amount of of customer cash um you know invested in treasuries which are very very safe right if uh if the if the u.s government goes belly up then the cash is all worthless Anyway, well, what happens is over the last several years when we had zero interest rates, you know, 0% interest, they were buying five year, 10 year treasury bills that were paying, you know, half a percent, 1%. Well, so when interest rates have gone up, just like when you're like a seesaw, when you're a little kid, if interest rates go up, bond prices go down. So the bond port, the bonds that they'd had where they've had to buy them in the past when interest rates started rising the value of those bonds went down. Well, that doesn't matter if you hold the bonds until they mature because you're going to get 100% of your money back. Well, what ended up happening was there was a there was a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of a run that started on Silicon Valley Bank and they went they blew through all the physical cash that they had and so they were going to have to start selling their bonds portfolios to be able to generate cash to meet the demands of their clients, their depositors. Well, the banking rules have these weird rules that you can put some of your portfolio in technically into a um, into a portfolio that's held to maturity. So they don't mark them to what their current value is. They mark them at at the par value, what they're gonna get at the end. And they are able to carry them on their balance sheet um, you know, at full, at full value. Well, if you have to sell them, you don't get full value. You're going to get, you know, either more if interest rates are down or less if interest rates are up um, for your, for your investment. Because remember you got the seesaw action, interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Well, they were forced to sell some of their bond portfolio, their treasuries at a loss because they had, they had to, to meet the, the demand. Well, what then what happened is the pandemonium and fear started setting in saying they're not gonna have enough money based on the value of their treasury portfolio to get me my money. So people started racing to the doors to try to pull stuff out. Now, so what the Fed actually did is they stepped in, they halted all of the pandemonium, and the Fed kind of said, Hey, we're gonna do you a solid here. Um, we know if you hold these things for You know, two years, five years, 10 years, you're going to get 100% of your money back. We're going to go ahead and advance you what you would get, what you would have gotten in two, five or 10 years. And we're going to take your bonds from you today. And we're going to put them back on our balance sheet. So the Fed balance sheet had actually started going down, decreasing, which was good. We needed it to over the last several months. And then you saw this huge spike, you know, uh, two weeks ago from where they bought, you know, all these bonds back. Um, from Silicon Valley, so it's not that Silicon Valley was, you know, uh, was quote unquote out of money. The reason they were in the position they were in because is because the Fed kept interest rates so low for so long, and then and then ripped them up, um, you know, real fast, and caused you know caused issues, you know, for the balance sheet. Now I'm not saying that Silicon Valley is not at fault here. Uh, someone, the CFO of Silicon Valley, should have said you know, been doing analysis years and years ago saying, holy shit, if if we have a really uh, sharp rate hike, it's going to cause us some some problems and we need to be prepared for it. And they weren't because they don't have a diversified base of, um, you know, of small clients. All their clients were these massive businesses that were over the FDIC limits, whereas your normal banks have a very diversified you know, client base.
2: So would you call what happened a bailout? No,
1: I wouldn't call it a bailout. I'll call it a lifeline because technically, I mean, (sighs) if we were a pure capitalist market, the Fed should have never intervened. The Fed should have just let them fail. If we were a pure capitalist market, um, SVP, SV, SVB, And, you know, in Signature Bank, same situation, we're both at fault. You know, they ran a highly concentrated um, business. They were not properly diversified. Um, So there was a lot of risk with a really highly concentrated uh, portfolio. I would have probably let them fail, um, you know, just to say, hey, you know, this is consequences for, you know, running your business this way. I do understand the optics and the emotions. If we, if, if the fed would have let them just completely fail and go belly up, dude, there probably would have been a run on banks that were totally unnecessary. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm just going to pick one. I'm not going to say that this is them, but like, let's just say it was Renaissance, right? That diversified bank based in Tupelo um, or cadence, you know, based in Tupelo, uh, you know, they do a lot of, community stuff, mom and pop. Well, if the, if the Fed would have let those two banks fail and the you know average person gets real nervous and says, well, I'm going to pull all my cash out and everyone goes, and I say everyone, let's just say 40% of the depositors go and say, give me all my money right now. It creates an unnecessary problem for Renaissance that you know they're just kind of uh, guilty by association.
2: All right. In that regard. All right. That's a great point. Here's the other side. Sure. I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal. I'm not even playing devil's advocate here. I'm just, these are legitimately things that I think about. I think in large part because I've got, we all live in our own individual bubbles. I mean, anybody who says they don't, you're, you're kidding. It's the, the school shooting thing. If I tell you there's a shooting at your kid's school where does your thought immediately go? Your kid.
1: Yeah. Oh, to my kid. Oh, 100%. Your kid. I thought you were meaning like, for me, I was like, man, that was the Pearl High School shooting because it was I was in high school. Okay, yeah. I got what you're saying. Yeah, if,
2: if, if I, I tell you as a parent, hey, there's a shooting at your kid's school, your thought is not on, oh, boy, I hope all the kids are okay, even though you do hope all the kids are okay. Right, right, your right. first thought and your only thought is, "I hope my kid is okay." Please, God, let my kid be okay. Right. So, I say that to say that I've got a twenty, soon to be twenty-two-year-old who graduates college in two months, has a job lined up in a big city. I've got another one that just turned twenty, graduates college in two years. Um, you know, I want her to be able to achieved the American dream. I've got one that graduates high school in just over two years, same. This is from Oyin Adioyan of the uh, Wall Street Journal. I'm sure I've mispronounced his name. Um, but anyway, the bar Americans have to clear to get approved for loans and credit cards will likely rise along with interest rates, partly as a result of the fallout from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The Federal Reserve is expected to to raise rates again Wednesday, though some economists say it would, it could hit pause this month or in coming months. Regardless, recent troubles across the banking industry caused in part by higher rates will lead banks to toughen lending standards, financial analysts and advisors say. Banks will likely be more conservative with who they are lending money to in this environment, said Timothy Chubb, chief investment officer at Girard, a wealth management firm. These heightened restrictions would make it harder to get a car loan, mortgage, or small business loan, says Lou Liberatore, director of research at Alexandria Capital, an investment and wealth management company. The tougher standards would be equivalent to a quarter or half point increase in the Fed's benchmark rate, economist at Goldman Sachs Group Incorporated estimates. Uh, Through... Though the Fed's anticipated quarter percentage point increase would be smaller than most during this past year's effort to stamp out inflation, the cumulative effect of a year of hikes continues to ripple through Americans' wallets. Higher rates have made buying a home less affordable and carrying credit card debt significantly more expensive. So I come back to this common theme that I have a problem with, which is, aren't we punishing the innocent for the misdeeds of the guilty?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I'd say you could Where Literally the thing that pops on my head is, you know, we're paying for the sins of our fathers. Right. Uh, cause in, in actual reality, it's, you know, the kids that are just coming into the market, they, they weren't a part of the problem. It was, you know, it was, it was their fathers that were a part of the problem. Um, And yeah, you, you know, is it harder for those kids to, you know, get a house um, to, to, you know, get first homes? I'm going to say it's harder than it has been in the last, I don't know, 10 years. But also, I mean, if we can be totally honest, yeah, things have gotten a little bit unrealistic in the last 10 years, especially with, you know, with purchasing houses, because like, and I know we talked a little bit about this pre-show, but my first house was, uh, you know, an 1100 square foot, two bedroom, one and a half bath condo. My interest rate was like 6.75 seven percent And I was really looking at, you know, my monthly payment. What could I afford um, when we were looking for houses? And uh, you know, a lot of what I see people in the last 10 years that what their first homes look like was not, I didn't even have that home until it was my fourth home, you know, that, that we, and I rented for, you know, for a while before I ever, uh, especially, you know, I went through a divorce, uh, had to get my, I mean, I, we had two houses. We had the condo, our first condo that we bought plus the, you know, the old, the old house that we lived in when we were a family. And, um, you know, she got both of those in the divorce, which is kind of weird. Uh, but it was also because we were upside down in in the house because we bought our our four-bedroom house uh, in 2007 or 2006, you know, right before the financial crisis. And uh, the value of the house was underwater for years. You know, and I kind of think that's going to be a lot of our, especially a lot of people who are first-time homebuyers. Um, you know, in the last call it right before COVID and during the COVID part, like the COVID years, if uh, they're going to be underwater in the equity in their house for, for a little while, because, you know, prices were really, really high. Interest rates were really, really low. Yeah. And you know, if they're looking, if when, when valuations are reset, you know, the price of housing is probably going to come down a little bit. I don't know if it's going to come down, you know, 10%, but maybe it comes down five, but dude, when you're talking about, you know, 5% on $300,000 is, you know, is a, is 15,000 bucks, man. That's a, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big move for a first time home buyer. Um, You know, I don't know, maybe some first time home buyers are flush with cash. I wasn't, Uh, you know, hell I I wasn't when I bought the house I'm in right now, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago.
2: But, you know, the the difference is, you know, I think people have an
1: unrealistic expectation of what their first home is supposed to look like because they look at their buddies that bought in 2018 through 2022 and saying, you know, well, man, Susie and Jimmy have a, you know, a 2,500 square foot house in a really nice neighborhood and they paid, you know, $300,000 for their for their house, or three hundred fifty thousand dollars for their house, but you know their payment is probably, I don't know, maybe it's sixteen hundred dollars because their interest rate was two and a half percent. But you have interest rates at six percent, and if you're going to have the same payment, that's not a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house. That's a you know a two hundred twenty five thousand dollar house with higher interest rates, and I think people are just got to going to have to adjust their expectations or either, you know, probably rent for, for a little while.
2: No, you know, you make a great point and it's, it's one that w- what made me think about it when you said it was, um, I had a, I had a question the other day on our site. I don't know if you are aware, but as we tape this on, um, Wednesday morning, mi- Wednesday, midday, Ole Miss's women's basketball team is preparing for a uh, Sweet 16 game in Seattle on Friday.
1: Yeah, I actually watched the end of that match on the flight home. It was pretty, yeah, it was pretty wild.
2: So congratulations to them. But the point is, is that in, in years past, uh, they they have not been very good. Uh, the coach Yolanda McPhee McEwen has done a tremendous job of of building the program from the dregs of nothing to where it is today, which is to our credit from a business standpoint, women's basketball has always been a sport that for us has not really resonated. Um, when I say not resonated, Martin, if you could see the analytics when we've written about it, it's just unbelievable. Like no one reads it. No No one, one no no one looks at it. Nothing. So anyway, we really haven't covered this team. And I had someone, you know, ask, Hey, do you think in the future you're going to cover women's basketball? And my answer was, look, there's only two of us. There's only so many hours. And so, uh, Ideally, I'm getting to something, I promise. Um, Ideally, we would have an intern. You know, Ole Miss has a journalism school. They have created a sports journalism um, emphasis. Ideally, one of those students who's an aspiring sports journalist would intern for us and cover women's basketball as a beat writer. It would be a tremendous opportunity for him or her. Um you know because you'd get exposure you would get things literally work product you could put on your resume yep you would get to be edited and I'm I'm going to say this I'm a very good editor I'm 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 not a terrific whatever but I'm very good with editing I can I could teach I can make an average writer an above average writer I can make an above average writer a significantly better writer and I can make a terrible writer a almost passable writer. Okay. <laughs> that would be me. Um, I could show you some things. And if you're teachable and coachable, I could help yeah. you. I could improve you. Well, that's about, val- there's value in that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what we look for when we're adding staff. I'm not looking for knowledge. I'm looking for, are you coachable? And, and do you have an appetite for learning? Yes. So.
2: this is sound, and I, I'm an advocate for young people. I really don't criticize them except here. This is to your point. I get the people that reach out, hey, I want to work for rebelgrove.com. I want to work for MPW Digital. Okay. Let me tell you what we're looking for. I'd love for someone to go cover uh, the soccer team as a beat writer. Go to their home games. Write stories about their players. uh, Volleyball. Women's basketball. Pick. You can do it all if you want. Or pick one. I'd love that. Without fail, those people who have come come to me, reached out, and i come back with that, they've never followed up. It's not what they want to do. They want to go straight to football. No football or baseball, right? Yeah, they want to cover baseball. Well, I don't need you to cover baseball. we got baseball covered. I want to cover football. I don't need you to cover football. we got football covered. That's not what they want to hear. Yep. And so then... If those same people ever sat down with me or you, because I know your 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 story, there's a lot of chapters, right? You didn't just yeah. become the CEO of Pinnacle; it just didn't happen. Hey, you know what?
1: Today yeah. I'm going to be the CEO of Pinnacle. You know, Martin's a really good-looking dude. We're going to make him the CEO.
2: <laughs> didn't happen. Like I mean, that. you did get it based on your looks, but but I it, mean, of it, course, but it took a minute.
1: Yeah, because I have a, I have a face for radio, man.
2: Yeah. Um. No, I mean you had to earn it. You had to work your way up because, frankly, had they given it to you in your twenties, you would have uh, failed miserably, and it would have been a yeah. complete and total disaster. You know, I tell and people I would have been discouraged. I tell people all the time. I mean, I did not. I, I became the Auburn beat writer at twenty eight. Okay, well, I graduated graduate school at twenty three. So in those subsequent years, I can't tell you how much high school football I've covered. How much high school girls volleyball I've covered? Never played volleyball. Okay, so it's def- covering volleyball for me was difficult because I didn't really understand what the hell I was covering. Sure. Um, ha- how much high school girls basketball, high school boys basketball, high school uh, wrestling? As someone who had never wrestled, I mean, I knew like about Ric Flair and 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 um, yeah. you Ooh. know and dusty yeah. roads and the junkyard yeah. dog that did not help me covering nah. high school wrestling <laughs> um so Both i had so i had to educate myself enough on wrestling to write something that was passable for the, for the newspaper that i was working for and all of that martin made me a better reporter. It made me more, more, resourceful. It made me better at time management. It made me more appreciative of an opportunity so that when I got the Auburn beat in the fall of 1998, I was ready for it. I didn't know that I was ready for it, but I was ready for it. Had you handed me the Auburn beat in the fall of 1994, I don't know that I would have handled it anywhere near as well. Um, but my point is, is to your point, and you're right. There is a tendency on young people to think that, hey, I live in this generation of you want something, you want an answer, you just go to Wikipedia. You 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 go to the internet. I want to do a story on. Um, I need I, I need to do a I need to write a report on John Adams. I just enter John Adams in the search engine, and boom, away yeah, like I go. Right? Yeah, it's right there, and and. Um, I think, I think that has, that has created a, um, that has created a, a, um, expectation that some life milestones will be that way. Yeah.
1: I mean, and, and dude, and I I think that us allowing our children to fail in a kind of a fell in a somewhat controlled environment is a great thing and that's what I love about sports it is you know it's a lot of failure and controlled environment where the stakes aren't super super high you know it's not life and death it's not someone's sure you know financial health and well-being sure and you know even like Christopher mine my oldest um man he he failed big time in the fall um you know he went to Mississippi state which I was Opposed to him going, not because of the school, even though I had emotional, uh, oppositions about that too, but because of the decision-making part of it, it was very poor decision-making and, and I knew that he was setting himself up for a not good ending. Um, but I just stepped back and I told him on the front end what I was willing to do, what I was not willing to do and, uh, and let him fail. And it was, it was hard to watch him fail. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in October he told me, he was like, dad, I think, uh, I think, I think I'm in trouble here. And I was like, all right, well, what options do you have? And he's like, I got to really buckle down. He's like, the car's in the ditch. I got to really buckle down to try to pull this thing off. And I knew that it was, I knew in my head, it was not possible for him to pull it off, but I didn't say that to him. Um, and then in, you know, November he's like, uh, he's like, we're, this is not possible. This is not happening. And he's like, what? What do we do now? And I'm like, well, you got to finish what what you started. You, I mean, there's no downside because you, if you do nothing, you're going to be in the same spot, but you can bust your butt, you know, during exams and try to pull at least some of your D's and F's up to, you know, C's and D's, um, which he was able to do some of. And then he tells me, he's like, hey, I'm going to come home and kind of get my shit together. And I'm going to go to homes. I'm going to go play soccer and get my grades up for a couple semesters to transfer out. I was like, Th- I think that's good decision-making skills, but I couldn't go in and, you know. And but by him making him.
2: by him making that decision yes. based on his failure, yep, he learned more than he could possibly have learned had you just bailed him out.
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, and he did tell me, it's funny, he's like, I'm sorry I wasted your money. And I was like, I appreciate that. I mean, it's kind of a sunk cost. So we can't go back and get the tuition back. I was like, but next semester's on you, dude. And he's like, I know, I know. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's different, you know, it's, and it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch your, your kid fail. Oh, that's probably um, to, It's probably a price. you would.
2: It's probably a price you would have paid at the life lesson store.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, and a very, and the way that it happened, it was really a low cost failure, but, but he had a lot of growth opportunity with that failure. And I think, uh, I think it was the right thing for, you know, for, for the house. I was pissed, uh, you know, about all of it, but I wasn't going to tell, you know, I was going to show him those emotions. Um, but, but he needed to fail, but, but you're right to be able to
2: to Uh, learn about the housing thing. You're right. I mean, you know, our first house in 97, 98, I guess when we bought it, 97 is in Birmingham. I want to say it was 1100 square feet. And that sounds about right. Um, the interest rate was, gosh, if I recall, it was seven and a quarter. Yeah. And then we bought a house. I mean, I remember buying a house in Mobile in 1999. It was like $139,000. And we were like, yeah, can we do this? You, (laughs) You know what I mean? It was like, this is.
1: Dude, I had that same experience with my second house. It was 150. And I was like, uh. Yeah, we we can't afford a hundred fifty thousand dollars house. Yeah, it
2: was like okay, well, we're not going to be able to do this, 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 and yeah, this. I mean, it, you know, we were we were like we were we were we were maxed out, and then you know, um, the real estate market kind of changed, and we were able to make a little bit of a profit off of that house, and and the interest yep. rates were dropping, and it was like okay, well, we moved across the bay, and I remember buying our house in Spanish Fort, and I want to say it was like twenty seven hundred square feet. And I remember walking into that, I had this this big backyard, and I was in, let's see, I would have been in my mid-30s, yeah, mid-30s, 2004, 2005, somewhere there, and um, I remember walking into that house one night. We bought it, and it was done, but the moving people weren't moving, we weren't moving everything across the bay for another couple of days and walking into that house at nighttime by myself and like almost being emotional about I've arrived. We made it right. And I mean, that was in my thirties. I mean, I, you know, and so that was 12 years after I'd kind of started my career. And then, you know, we bought this house here in 2008 I mean, I was I was in, I guess, late thirties at that point. Yeah, thirty eight years old. And I mean, I remember thinking, I mean, well, this is crazy. We're, what are we doing? I mean, you know, like God, wouldn't we be better off just buying a trailer somewhere? Um, you know, but but yeah. So that yep. there there is, there is something to be said for a return to to realism. And yet, on the other hand, on the other hand, I do find. I find it very frustrating for young people that because we've made these series of errors as a country that, hey, here's the bill, kids. Yep. You pay it. You didn't you didn't run this up. You didn't do this. You weren't the reason that we printed all of this money in twenty twenty. Um, that we've created I mean, there there's a reason that inflation happened, Martin, and, and, and it's yep. primarily because well, money supply. We created, we added way too much money to the money supply. We yep. didn't have to. We did it. We did it as a as a cover up for what we talked about at the very beginning. the The, the it, whole it pandemic. In,
1: it was rooted in fear. The was, decision was rooted in fear.
2: Well, the decision was rooted in fear, uh, except for the fact that the people who were responsible for that fear were covering up what really happened and were covering up the truth about hey, this. Listen, guys, we don't have to shut down. You can keep working. You can keep your restaurant open. Everything's cool. We're going to make it through this. This is not This is not the end all. And, and they knew that. And we we didn't do it. So it, it, it's, it's hard for me because I view the pandemic as a crime now, three years later. It's hard for me to go, okay, well, here's the sentence. You got to serve it. You didn't do it. But here, you you go to jail.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, you're right. There is going to be, it's, you know, paying for the sins of our fathers and a lot of our, a lot of our young folk um, who didn't have anything to do with, they were not able to vote people in or out of office. They didn't have anything to do with it, but are going to, you know, face some of the consequences from that. And that's unfortunate, man. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I guess all this stuff does happen in cycles too. There will be, there'll be a cycle where, you know, they will, they will have a, a piece in it too. I just, I don't, and I don't know that government will ever get, to a point of where like rational, logical meets, our common sense meets, you know, policy. I don't, I don't, I just don't know that we'll, I think that's just an oxymoron. I don't know that it can, that it can coexist with governing. Although that would be beautiful and maybe that's utopia. I have no idea. It's
2: probably utopia. But we can hope
1: that's what heaven will be like, I guess, you know, heaven, heaven will be common sense governing.
2: <laughs> it's, it, it's what's needed. I mean, not to get political, but like you watch all this stuff with Trump and the indictment or what's going to happen. Is he going to get indicted? And if he's indicted, is it just political and all of these things And I keep coming back to the same thought over and over and over, over and over and over. I keep coming back to surely as a country. There's a way that we can get to a place where our election is not between two 80-year-old men, both embroiled in corruption, one that's getting covered by the media, one that's being covered up by the media, but that everybody knows, right? Surely we can get to a right. place, surely we can get to a place where we return to normalcy and have a couple of quasi-normal candidates who run a quasi-normal uh campaign cycle and we get back to something resembling
1: that would be uh that would be awesome you know one thing i am really excited about though and i know it'll shift and i know we're we're bumping up on our time i know our shows will will shift a little bit once we kind of get into the campaigning part of the you know of the election cycle um I, but I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the election cycle and kind of talking about it because man i learned so much from the last time. Cause I mean, I I'm going to say that is one of your strengths and, and, and I'll even, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'll call it a passion, but you are high energy about, um, you know, about the details and, and the, and politics. And I really enjoyed, I learned a lot myself during that process. So oh, it's nice to of you.
2: No, to I, 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 I like politics. I, I, people always ask me if I had to do over, mm-hmm what would I do or if I could do something, if I could move to a different chapter in my life, which yeah. is something I think about. I mean, I, I make no bones about it, that we're a couple of years away from um, empty nesting. I don't think Carson's going to go to Ole Miss. I don't know where he's going to go. Maybe he'll go to Ole Miss, but I highly doubt it. Um, where I, I think we'll have just me and Laura here. and I, I don't know. There's part of me that thinks about hey, I wouldn't mind branching out and trying something different might not be able to afford to do that i don't know but but going to look i'd love to i'd love to do with, do with something that had to do with politics and and life and um i mean i love it's one of the reasons i like doing this show it's is we talk about things that aren't just and this is not a knock on sports or old miss sports right, or right. whatever it just it's just that sometimes you're like hey you know there's more to me than who do you think? Is going to, sports, who yeah. do you think's gonna be the quarterback? Jackson Dart or Spencer Sanders? I mean, I can only answer that question so many times. So there, there 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 are there are there are other things that I I find to be um more interesting to me at this point in my life. Is that a good way of saying sure. it? Yeah. It's I mean, not, I'm not minimizing the people that are eat up with Ole Miss football, thank God for you, by the way. I love you. Appreciate you. Yeah. But you know, there's
1: yeah, but you get to exercise different muscles.
2: Yeah. I'll we'll say that. And, you and so your,
1: your big muscle is your almost sports. I mean, because obviously you're really good at it. You have a really good following, but you have other big muscles too. Uh, yeah, because to I,
2: I kind of have this theory about this indictment that may or may not come down. It apparently, there was a report that it was coming down today, and now it appears that it is not coming down today, that the grand jury in New York is hit pause or something happened, maybe just a scheduling thing. Who knows? Sure. Um. But I don't get the sense that anyone, mo- most of the time in a prosecution, an indictment is brought by a prosecutor from a grand jury because the prosecutor believes that he or she can get a conviction and should get a conviction that someone should pay for a crime. Okay. And this yep. is a criminal court. This is not some civil court, this is not a federal court. this is This is a Manhattan court. And so if you take that and put it in Madison, Mississippi, and the district attorney gets an indictment, he or she brings charges because he or she believes that he or she should and will get a and conviction, right? Yep. I don't sense that here. I don't sense that anyone truly believes that they're going to get a conviction, a criminal conviction of Donald Trump based on what appears to be, and this is not partisan at all. I've just listened to a lot about this particular case. It doesn't appear to be a rock solid case that you have here. You have Donald Trump, either he or his attorney, paid this former porn star $130,000 In what is essentially an NDA, a non disclosure agreement. Right. Well, in New York, a non disclosure agreement is legal. The money appears to have come from his personal account, not his campaign account. Yep.
1: Funneled through the attorney,
2: which is legal in New York. It, and I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying, hey, it's okay to go have an affair with a, a stripper or a, or a porn star. I'm not. I'm not. You're not condoning that. I'm talking about just the legality <laughs> of it all. Him, him having an affair with the porn star is not illegal. And in that state, him paying the porn star one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to not talk about said affair is legal. She agreed to it. No, no, no. no and no, took the money. And took the there money. An so offer, th- there and was acceptance and consideration. There was a legal transaction. There may be some degree of whether whether he reported it exactly correctly or not. But my point is, is I don't think that they're going to get a conviction where Donald Trump goes to prison. Okay. And I don't don't even think, and I I don't think they expect that. So it's politically motivated, which makes me go, okay, why? And I can't help but wonder if they think, because this prosecutor wasn't going to take this, wasn't going to go with this particular case until something happened. And I can't help but wonder if some smart people, probably in Washington, said, hey, this is going to really motivate his base. And now's the time, if you're the Democrats, and you're trying, they're going to run Joe Biden again, as of this moment. Joe Biden, this is not political, what I'm about to say. Joe Biden's 82 years old when he runs for re-election. 82. Joe Biden's not exactly the sharpest knife in the in, in, in the drawer these days no. that, that's more than fair I, I think even even the bluest Democrat would agree with, yeah, a little bit of problem he's got a, he's got a, a he's got a running mate that he probably is going to have to keep because of her he, he, he probably can't kick a black female off his ticket right now, and people hate her. I mean her her favorability ratings are just in the gutter. Yeah. So they, they for him to win an a re-election, he's got to run against somebody who can't win a re-election an election. Well, maybe that's Trump, right? So if you get his base all motivated here in pro, as we get closer to primary season and Trump rides this wave of emotion to the Republican nomination, if you're the Democrats, isn't that kind of what you want? You've beat him before. There's a lot of people that that will run to the polls not to... vote for him. Yeah. Run, that will not only not vote for him, but will run to the polls to vote against him. Yeah, true. As opposed to, say, a DeSantis or a Nikki Haley or whoever else may emerge from a, a hypothetical Republican field where those people... That we just referenced, they might not run to the polls to vote for DeSantis or to vote for Haley, but they don't hate them with the red hot passion that they hate Trump with. And so, you know, when it's four o'clock on election day and it's raining outside and it's 22 degrees in Lansing, Michigan, do they go, ah, screw it, I don't care whatever. You know what? Biden's kind of shitty. Anyway, he's 82. He's old. He can't figure out what he's doing. He looks like he, he took a nap. He just ran the worst campaign that he, I mean, cause look Biden's going to run another horrible campaign in 24 his campaign in 20 was run from a basement. He probably isn't going to have that benefit. So he's going to go run a gaff filled old man campaign and he's going to look really old and he's going to look really tired and he's going to have four year record that's not exactly shiny, and people are going to go. I don't. Know, what, what are we running this back? And if the answer is, well, the alternative is Trump, a lot of people are going hell yeah, we're going to run it back. Yep, we're going to yep. But if the alternative is this guy from Florida that you know what's pretty impressive on his on his uh, on the debate stage, or it's Nikki Haley or it's whoever, it's a young, energetic person. People might go, yeah, you know what? I don't really like them. They have an R by their name, but I don't like. He seems or she seems fine, whatever. Well, just a little bit of whatever swings the election. I mean, Do- Donald Trump. I'm not, this isn't about this, this isn't about stolen because I think that's a false narrative. But what is not false is that if you change a, a, a few votes, and, and when I say a few, I mean thousands. But if you change some votes in Michigan and in Arizona and in Georgia, Donald Trump wins re-election. I mean, his his path to re-election is was was not. He he didn't miss it by much, and that was that was in a pandemic year. I mean, if there's no pandemic, Donald Trump's the president right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're probably right about
2: that. And so, you know, I mean, yeah, I I bet anything on it. And so, we probably have
1: massive amounts of inflation, even more so than we have now.
2: So I just kind of can't help but wonder if this is somewhat planned, kind of strategic. Hey, let's. I mean, it feels that
1: way. It feels very contrived.
2: Yeah, let's get yeah, because I don't I I don't think that they think they're going to get a conviction here they're not. You just
1: do more reputational damage to Trump.
2: Well, it just, but not even reputational damage. Get his base motivated. Because even people yes, like me, I'm, I'm not a Trump to, guy. I'm not a Trump put guy. put him in the, the Republican ticket. But I look at this and I'm yeah. like, man, why are you, this is not good for our country. Like, it makes me kind of motivated a little. And so I know that his base, and his base, now it's a small group, but his base is firmly loyal. Yes, and they they're going to rally around this. And so, you yes, know, I mean, and DeSantis still hasn't declared. So I can't help but wonder if this is the Biden camp's way of going, let's make sure that we're running against Trump. Because if you're Biden and you're running against DeSantis, suddenly Biden's running against his own record. If you run against Trump, you're running against Trump's record. and Trump's record's got some spots. I know we got to go. We ran too far. You probably have a a meeting and Uh, such. Yeah, I mean, I
1: do. I do. You're good. I was just. Telling my dude that I was going to be in route in just a minute. Okay, but I'm good. All
2: right. Well, we will. Uh, we'll wrap up. Well,
1: dude, it. I look. I do look forward to the campaign season and talking about it a lot. So.
2: It's coming. It's coming sooner rather than later. We'll. Uh, we'll be back. I think next Thursday is the plan. Yeah. Um, or we might have to. We. We'll, I've got spring. Fo- we'll figure it out. I've got spring yep. football, and that's what's creating some schedule issues for me. But uh, we will. Uh, We will be back soon with another edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle. It's mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N, wealth.com. Get in touch with Martin and the people there and uh, see if it's a fit for you. And they will uh, talk to you. And if it's a fit, great. And if it's not, you'll still have had a productive conversation. My guess is that you will find it's a fit. Uh, Again, mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N, wealth.com. For Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. Until next time, take care.